1: Today, we're speaking with Liz Pease. A lifelong cat lover, Liz grew up in Newburyport, Mass, knowing about the work of the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society with local feral cats. When she began feeding a colony of feral cats in 2004, she reached out to MRFRS for advice, learned about TNR, and soon found herself acting as the group's main trapping volunteer. Three years later, she came to work for MRFRS as the feral cat program manager and soon became the Director of Operations. In that role, she oversaw the organization's day-to-day operations, including the Catmobile Mobile Spay-Neuter Clinics. In the fall of 2015, she became MRFRS's Executive Director, a role in which she heads up the organization's fundraising and grant writing efforts. She still feeds feral cats weekly, and she still loves to trap. Liz, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. As I was saying earlier, you're a very good friend to me, and I would say it's pretty funny to be interviewing a friend, (laughs) so it'll be a great show today. Liz, I was wondering if you could share with us how you got started, a little more detail about the feral cats that you found, and how you
0: got involved really falling in love with cats. So as I noted in the bio, I grew up in Report and I actually remember eating down on the waterfront and having feral cats run up to your table when you were eating at some of the outdoor restaurants, coming up trying to steal scraps off your plate. And I was always struck by that as a kid, and then growing up, followed in the paper, the MRFRS story, donated a few times. Actually, it's kind of a funny story. I was on your mailing list and got a plea for sponsorships for the furball, and we decided that my ex would sponsor the furball. We put a little ad in for his landscaping company, and you, Stacy, called him to come and mow the lawn at the shelter. So I kind of knew of you peripherally, and then he's a firefighter and called me one night from the fire station to say there was a mom cat and some kittens eating out of the trash barrels behind the station. So because I am who I am. I said, well, I'll be right there and came up with a can of food and then was very surprised to find that these cats didn't want me to pet them and pick them up. And this was kind of a new experience for me because cats love me. So I kept feeding them and then thought there's something else I'm supposed to be doing here. And that was when I think I reached out to you because I knew of you. And in true Stacy fashion, you immediately sucked me right in and Next thing I knew, I was trapping, I think I trapped something like 15 cats with various people for my first feral clinic, and then the rest is history. So I kept feeding that colony for quite a few years. Most of the cats ended up being friendly or semi-friendly, so they were brought inside eventually. But it seems like yesterday, but that was 12 years ago.
1: And as a kid, you had had cats growing up, right?
0: Yes, yes. I always had a cat in my house. I actually have a picture of my mother about nine months pregnant with me with a cat perched on her belly. It was Bernice. I say she was indoctrinating me. But yeah, i had a cat named Max in particular growing up who turned me into a cat person. He was a crazy black cat with double paws and was just a really smart cat. My sister and I would spend tons of time trying to dress him in clothing and diapers, and he was always finding ways to escape from us. And I think he was the one that really got me really intrigued by cats and obviously started my love for black cats. As anyone who knows me knows, they're my favorite. Me too. You have that
1: similarity. One of the cats that you had had FIV.
0: Yes, Max was the cat who had FIV, so we got him when he was seven. I was 11 at the time, and I remember our old cat had passed away, and my sister desperately wanted a kitten, and I have a journal entry that I wrote at that time in which I talk about how We really should adopt an adult cat because it might get taken to a shelter and put to sleep. And because we all know that kittens, you don't really know what their personality is going to be like. But adult cats, you already know what you're getting. And I have no idea why I knew any of these things as an 11-year-old. But I did, and I convinced my family that we should adopt this cat, Max, whose owners were moving to Boston. He was diagnosed with FIV at age 18, which I think was probably right around the time that we first really started to know about FIV. And he proceeded to live to be 22. He was an indoor-outdoor cat because pretty much all cats were at the time and really was never particularly unhealthy. So, yeah, that was our first experience with FIV. He lived with, I think, about five or six other cats over the course of his lifetime. Only one of those ever became FIV positive, and that was long after Max died. So kind of an interesting little experiment, if you will, that we didn't know we were doing.
1: (laughs) Can you tell me a little bit about the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society and the various programs that they offer?
0: Sure. So the MRFRS started back in 1992, was started by a group of four women who had all been feeding these feral cats that I alluded to on the Newburyport waterfront and sort of discovered each other and realized they were all doing the same thing and thought we've got to do something more. So they learned about TNR, which was a pretty groundbreaking idea at that time, and got a local veterinarian on board and proceeded to TNR. I think it was around 300 cats on the waterfront, unfortunately. They were not thinking a lot about keeping record And then out of that, as is fairly typical, developed an adoption program because you end up with friendly cats or kittens that need placement. When I started, we had moved to our 63 Elm Street Salisbury location, which is an old ranch house converted into a largely cageless shelter. We ran kind of a low-cost veterinary care program through which we would do some spay neuter for local folks who needed assistance with that. It was not a large program at the time, but we just sort of did it. Through the shelter and local vets, we also, in 2000, started the feral spay-neuter clinic, which was a monthly clinic that continues to this day. Those are held on Sundays. They're all volunteer vets, volunteer staffed, free to trappers from anywhere. We will spay and neuter anywhere from, usually our average these days is about 50. But when I started, there were a couple times a year we would do clinics where we did about 100 cats in a clinic. So we still do that. We have the adoption program. We adopt out somewhere in the neighborhood of 600 cats a year. And now, instead of our little low-cost program, we have two catmobile clinics. They are 33-foot mobile spay/neuter clinics that travel around eastern and central Massachusetts. We visit about 30 locations regularly. Cat owners that in need of assistance, as well as other shelters, and of course, spay/neuter all of our own shelter animals who are all go home altered. So through that program, we hit 50,000 cats in June, which is pretty amazing. That started in the fall of 2008. And then we also run a program called FARS, which is a veterinary assistance program for individuals who find themselves in times of financial difficulty, so for illness or injury for their pet cats. And then we also do have a mentoring program in which we work with other organizations around the country. Sometimes we've assisted them directly with targeted spay-neuter or TNR projects, also done some work with assisting them with fundraising. And that is run by you, Stacy. So <laughs> you know a little bit about that. So we're sort of seeing what permutation that takes next.
1: One thing that the adoption program is really well known for is their feline leukemia adoptions. Can you talk a bit about that?
0: Yeah, so our adoption program has never been afraid of FIV or feline leukemia. We actually have a dedicated feline leukemia room, which is a very small room, but it's a cageless room. It started when I was there as sort of an accident when we happened to take in a bunch of feluc-positive cats, including a mom and litter of kittens that were all feluc-positive. And so we felt like, okay, all of a sudden we've got all these cats. They don't tend to get adopted out quite as quickly as your average cat. So it was my office at the time. We said, well, we'll just let them all loose in here. I think I had something like six or seven adults and five or six kittens loose in my office, which was An interesting working challenge, including my buddy Chance, who was my poster child for a few loop cats. He was this buff, looked like a street Scottish fold because really his ears were just so beaten up from years of being a stray. And he was FIV and feeling leukemia positive and just the nicest cat you could ever want to meet. So, of course, once word got out that we had a feeling leukemia room, it has been full ever since. And we generally have a waiting list for cats to come into there, but we also adopt them out. We do something called our care for life program with these cats, where we cover the costs for the rest of their lives of any of their medical needs related to feeling leukemia. We ask adopters to cover their basic veterinary costs, like a yearly visit and vaccines, but we cover everything else. So It's a nice way to encourage folks to take home a cat that maybe they otherwise wouldn't consider. And I've been amazed over the years by how many people take one of these guys home and, you know, at some point lose the cat and then are right back for another one. They sort of get hooked. And they're pretty special people to open their hearts to a cat that chances are they're going to pass away on the sooner side. I mean, you know, any cat you adopt is obviously going to pass away at some point, but I've always been very touched by the people willing to help out with those cats. I wish I had a number of how many we've adopted over the years, probably on average a year adopted, 15 to 25, depending on the year.
1: And the reality too is from our local service area model, we don't get that many feline leukemia positive cats. Is that correct?
0: Correct. Over the time I've been there, we had occasions where there were sort of geographic pockets of strays that were feluc positive, but that has not happened in a long time. So it's a nice way that we're able to assist other groups at this point who are still dealing with TNR and the surprise of finding a friendly or even a feral feluc positive that they aren't sure what to do with. And certainly we also like to work with other organizations to share with them what we've done in hopes that they can try adopting out some feluc cats because they... I feel like we've all come a long way in terms of what we're willing to try adopting out even MSPCA these days adopts out feluc positive cats so we like to share the knowledge first especially if people are on the waiting list to kind of encourage them to try adopting them out I mean I always say as far as care for life program goes once it's in your custody you're paying for them anyway so why not pay for them in someone's home
1: and why do you think that our service area doesn't produce that many feluc positive cats
0: well, I think it's as simple as the fact that we really don't have a ton of stray cats uncared for these days. So our service area is the group of towns that is immediately surrounding Salisbury and slightly outside of that. There was a model that we set up as a way to be able to just keep a handle on intakes. We've done an extraordinary job of population control through spay-neuter in that area. We don't see a lot of kittens. This is actually probably the first summer in a while that we've seen a lot of local kittens, and they are actually feral, which is interesting. We've got to figure out what's going on there, but that's an aberration. There hasn't been a lot of unchecked breeding in our area in many years, I would say.
1: So the creation of the Catmobile program as well as the Sunday clinics has really helped, in essence, reduce disease in
0: the area? Yeah, I would absolutely say so because, of course, feline leukemia is often talked about as the friendly cat disease, which means that it's easily passed between cats that are in close physical contact with each other on a regular basis, which immediately always makes me think of feral colonies in particular because those are usually pretty tight-knit little groups of cats. And we really do not have colonies like that in our service area these days we have sort of what i call like pop-up feral cats you know one or two here one or two there but really no colonies to speak of knock on wood of course
1: well, and as you've heard me say before many times, you know, I talk about Adam and Eve, and our objective is always to at least get Adam and Eve spade neutered before they get abandoned. Hopefully, they don't ever get abandoned, but if they do get abandoned, they're going to be spade neutered. And then hopefully, we get them in and up for adoption before they revert to a feral behavior. And now, let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Ready to make a big difference for cats in your community? We've got an exciting opportunity that can jumpstart your efforts. The Community Cats Podcast has launched Community Cats Grants. When you qualify for this innovative program, you'll gain valuable knowledge about how to raise funds for your spay-neuter efforts. Plus, we'll match the funds you raise up to $1,000, doubling your ability to make a difference for cats. Fundraising doesn't have to be scary. We'll be with you every step of the way. Check it out. You can find all of the details on the Community Cats Podcast website, Under our education menu. Let's join forces to make the world a better place for community cats. Now, MRFRS has also been quite progressive with regards to its treatment of FIV positive cats. Maybe describe how
0: we handle them in our adoption center. Sure. Ever since I've been here, they've been loose in the general population. My understanding is before that, they had their own cageless room in the shelter, but I think they were not getting adopted out quickly, if I recall, because they were in a room way in the back. So I think you said, well, let's open the door. We never closed the door. So... (laughs) Yeah, it's just something that is not a big deal to us. I mean, in my almost 10 years working for MRFRS, I can count on one hand the number of cats that really suffered terribly from health issues from FIV that were things we couldn't deal with. I mean, certainly we see a lot of teeth issues and some chronic upper respiratory issues, but those are all easy to deal with. I really can only think of a few cats that I would say really died from FIV. You know, Certainly, we worry a little when there's a really aggressive cat that's FIV positive. In that case, we might, in terms of them passing it on to other cats, separate them at night um, or something like that. But we haven't seen it feel like a big deal in terms of cats' lifespans. And I think most of the staff at this point have had enough personal experiences as well with their own pet cats to feel like they can say that as well. You know, Certainly, it's been a struggle with some local veterinarians, but... Our own veterinarian who runs Camobile One is someone who's totally on board with that idea as well, and particularly intrigued by trying to banish the myths about FIV. Our experience has been, and the data seems to show, that it is not easily transmissible. It's not like feeling leukemia. It's deep penetrating bite wounds that you're bringing a cat to the vet for, not play biting. And it's not sharing water bowls or food bowls or litter boxes. It's really none of that stuff. So we really don't feel like the shelter is a high risk environment. Certainly there are aspects of a cageless shelter that can be a little high risk. You know, it's stressful. It's not a home, but we try to manage that. The shelter staff's really good about assessing personalities. And we do have some separate rooms. So we aren't looking to put two recently neutered FIV positive tomcats in the same room together.
1: So if you're looking down the road five or 10 years from now, what do you think life looks like for community cats?
0: Well, definitely depends on the area of the country you're in, I think, but hopefully it will be better for all everywhere. My hope is that there comes to be a little more acceptance of the idea of a community cat being an okay thing. I think we've been working from this reactionary perspective for so long of no cat belongs outside. A cat who doesn't have a dedicated owner is a terrible thing. And I I personally don't feel that's always the case. I've seen enough cats in my career that are truly community cats who were cared for by multiple people. Sometimes there certainly can be issues with who's ultimately responsible when the cat needs care. But on the other hand, they've always ended up with us. So someone did actually take the responsibility to find us when they needed help. So I would like to see us become a little more accepting of this idea that it's okay if this cat has kind of a village caring for it instead of one person on a piece of paper. And while I think in our dream world, we'd all like to see all cats indoors, it's not always every cat's reality. And I don't think it should be every single cat's reality because for me, sometimes keeping cats indoors is more about us feeling comfortable than the cat feeling comfortable. In other parts of the country that have a little farther to go than New England does, I think my first hope is that more of the community cats will be altered, and hopefully through some of the things like the mentoring program, TNR models will become more accessible to people. There will hopefully be more funding and more availability of of low-cost or free spay-neuter for feral cats. So I guess that's what I'm hoping is down the road that cats in some parts of this country have a long way to go towards any kind of even second-class citizenship. But hopefully they'll be moving a little closer to that by at least having their numbers decrease such that they're not just seen as nuisance animals anymore.
1: So on that note, if you saw a stray cat,
0: what would you do? (laughs) My husband would probably roll his eyes at this question. (laughs) You know, and that's interesting because probably my answer 10 years ago would probably be very different than it is now. Probably 10 years ago, I would say I would pick that cat up and put him in my car and bring him to the shelter. You know, he needs help. I mean, I would always squeeze their rear end to make sure they're neutered. Um, That I would have done. 10 years ago, and I'd still do now, and that makes my husband cringe every time I walk up to a stray cat and lift up its tail. I guess the first thing I would do is not assume it's a stray cat. A little look at the body condition. Is this cat doing all right? I mean, if this cat looks sick and in tough shape, then I'd probably grab it and put in a call to animal control. But if the cat looks like it's doing all right and it's fixed, then probably pat him on the head and Tell them to have a nice day. (laughs) Liz, if
1: people are interested in finding out more about the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society or reaching
0: out to you with any questions, how could they find you? We have a great webpage, our initials, MRFRS.org. We actually have a fantastic Facebook page as well, which I think is facebook.com slash MRFRSorg, O-R-G. You can always email me, Liz, at MRFRS.org. Happy to reach out and chat with anybody anytime. So best way to get in touch with me is always email. Liz,
1: is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today?
0: I guess I would just say to people, kind of be open to where where the cats were taking you. I mean, if you had told me 12 years ago that this was what I was going to be doing for work, I would have (laughs) laughed at you. And you actually probably did tell me that 12 years ago. I was once told, and this sounds very simplistic, but follow your heart. I mean, if you believe that you're doing the right thing, keep doing it and the pieces will fall into place. I was raised not to stand by and do nothing when there's change that needs to happen. And I think the world needs more people like that. So I think it's it's awesome that there are so many people like that in animal welfare. And some days it's easy to, to get discouraged, but look around at the other great people doing it and remember why you're doing it. And look at the cats. Pat a cat. Go look at a kitten. That's always my cure-all for a bad day. Go watch some kittens. <laughs> especially after they've had surgery. Right, exactly. When they're supposed to be calm and quiet.
1: <laughs> right, right, but they're really trying to beat each other up, yeah, exactly. you know. <laughs> well, Liz, you and I were friends, we're colleagues, we've worked together, and it's a pleasure to work with you, and I definitely want to thank you for all that you have brought to MRFRS and brought to the field of animal welfare regarding community cats bringing some of the topics that we have felt that have really need to come into the public space. You and I have bantered back and forth many times over different things. So I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And since you are so close, your email is so etched in my mind, I'm sure you'll be a guest on the show again in the future. And I hope you'll be willing to do that.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Stacey. I appreciate it. And thank you for seeing a little spark in me and pushing me to do this work. So <laughs> changed my life much for the better.
1: Thanks for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. If you could go to iTunes and review the show, we'd really appreciate it. When you do, take a screenshot of your review, go to communitycatspodcast.com forward slash review and enter your information and we'll send you a t-shirt. While you're there, don't forget to check out all the ways you can support the content you're passionate about. Thanks, everyone.